what happens in the city is, you know, you're working for excellence. So we really learned between worship, evangelism, my preaching, I had to get better. Mm. I couldn't, you know, this was a big city with not just educated people, but people that were working hard in their context. And they, there's expectations that our church is going to press forward and create, you know, excellence within, within what God's doing. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 86. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Thanks for listening. So our guest this week is Pastor Phil Metzger. Um, he is currently pastor of Calvary San Diego in California. Uh, but most recently, he was pastor of the church um, Golgata Budapest in Hungary. Um, he's directed a Bible college. He is the author of the book, um, Story of Grace, Beyond the Iron Curtain, which talks about the story of how Golgata Budapest and other churches in Hungary uh, were planted in the past couple of decades. Um, he's a guy with a whole lot of great stories. And in this episode, Nick Katie and him talk about you know the unique challenges that come from pastoring and preaching in a cross-cultural context. Um, they're also big fans of manuscripting your sermons, kind of a contrast to last week's episode where we heard about the advantage of preaching without notes. So you can compare and contrast this episode with episode 85. Um, and also, they discuss what it means to be like a gifted communicator, even with uh, acting experience, and how that comes across through teaching and preaching. And also, finally, the importance of an intentional pause. So anyway, speaking of Budapest, our first ever European training event is coming up. It's going to be March 7th, and it actually is going to be in Golgata, Budapest, the church where Phil was the previous pastor of. And so if you live near Hungary, if you have friends in Europe and you want to point them towards this event, um, we'll be getting information up on our website soon, expositorscollective.com. So save the date, you Europeans, March 7th, Budapest. And then also for those of you that live in the U.S., remember February 21st and 22nd is coming up for our Las Vegas training weekend. All right, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Well, welcome everybody. We are here today with Pastor Phil Metzger of Calvary Chapel San Diego. And uh, Phil, you and I have known each other. We served together in Hungary. And uh, I've uh, known you for several years, so I'm glad to have the opportunity to have you on the podcast. You were with us, too, at our San Diego Expositors Collective. Yeah, thanks for having me on this one. And yeah, I got to go. It was my first Expositors to get to go to. It was a great experience. Great. Yeah, awesome. So, you know, Phil, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your experience in ministry, because I think it's pretty unique. Yeah, well, I got saved when I was about 15, 16 years old. It's kind of... Um, about the time period, you know, and pretty quickly after I got saved, I had a, I, I, I met with some friends who are also new believers and we all kind of got this heart for missions without knowing what that really meant. Just kind of 
you know, the wall, the, you know, East, you know, Berlin walls coming down and we're kind of caught up in that period, that time period. And when just, was this? Uh, well, for me, it was, it was 91, 92. It was right around that time. And again, these events happened before that, but it was kind of the big talk. Like what, what is the USSR, this former Soviet Union, what's it going to look like? And so we were kind of wrapped up with this kind of idea of like, what would it look like to get to go to one of those places to preach the gospel? And we were, I mean, I was not a year old in my faith, no joke at wow. that point. So I had a um, great conversation with Pastor Chuck at that point about the idea, and he was nothing but completely supportive to it. Mm. If I was 45 years younger and single, I'd go with you, was what he said. Wow. And he gave us a blank check to go buy winter coats and sent us on our kind of on our way. And uh, so I ended up serving over in Moscow, Russia for a period of time. I uh, was back in the States for a season, uh, met up with my one, a good buddy of mine who had gone a different direction. He had been going to Hungary, Greg Opine. And uh, when I came back to, uh, to America, I tried to go back to Russia, was denied a visa. Greg said, come to Hungary. I went to Hungary, fell in love with the place, the people, the opportunities. And um, after being a youth pastor at Costa Mesa for several years, I spent the last 20 years serving the Lord as a church planner in Hungary. And that's, of course, where you and I got to meet up yeah. and um, kind of really became, you know, really figured out who I am in Christ and who I am as a minister uh, serving there in Hungary. Yeah. And that, so you planted a church and then you served at a Bible college. And then you pastored in Calvary and Budapest, right? Yeah. So we, yeah, we planted a church. Yeah. Um, and while I was serving at the Bible college, we planted another church, a couple, a couple, one, yeah, a couple other churches during that time. And then started getting involved in a reaching out to kind of the more, the younger people in Budapest. That was the vision that the pastor Greg had at the time. And it was kind of modeled around the idea of let's make this evangelistic and for younger audience. So I started doing that, did that for a year and then ended up uh, having the opportunity to take over the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what's that like? Uh, how would you describe that? Maybe to some of our listeners like about preaching in an international context mm. as an American. What's unique about it? What might be different? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny when you tell people you church planted in, you know, Europe or in Hungary, especially people are thinking kind of you know, dusty rooms and, you know, dirt floor kind of a deal. And um, certainly we had that as well, I guess mm. you could say. But the majority of my time I spent living in the inner city. Of, we spent serving in the inner city of Budapest, a very large church, a very tech savvy church, a very, mm. uh, I'd say very alive, very spirit filled. Um, something that like Tim Keller speaks a lot about or did uh, on the subject of what happens in the city is, you know, you're working for excellence. So we really learned between worship, evangelism, my preaching, I had to get better. Mm. I couldn't, you know, this was a big city with not just educated people, but people that were working hard in their context. And they, there's expectations that our church is going to press forward and create you know, excellence within, within what God's doing. So it really, really changed the way that I would preach. Um, something that I heard Greg Laurie say when I was first saved was about making sure that the gospel was presented every time we spoke. And I remember having somebody say to me one time, you know, oh, I hope you're really gonna, you know, I hope you're gonna preach the gospel in this message because I'm bringing an un unsaved friend. And I, at first I was kind of like, 
um, like, oh, am I? I was kind of questioning it. Mm -hmm. But then I realized this has been built into me. It's always been a part of my heart. I I won't go without people hearing the gospel. It's just, and, and I learned that from Greg Laurie, from and uh, from Chuck. And so I would say one of the interesting dynamics of working in an international context was working with a translator. Uh, you always know that there's two contexts being trying to be understood at one time. But then beyond that, two languages doesn't represent the full context of the church. You, mm-hmm. you, you might have an English speaker, but they're coming from Kenya. Right. And so their understanding, they, they speak the language, but don't understand an American context. And so uh, that was a very unique experience. And, and I, I've had a harder time adjusting to being back in America now. Yeah. How about, um, did, was it hard for you to get used to speaking without a translator? It, it took a couple, yeah, it took, it took a couple months to, you know, my wife was saying that, gosh, you, you didn't seem comfortable. Mm. And I don't know if it was just translation or just the fact of, who are these people that I'm preaching to now here in this new church? But, you know, the longer you're there and like the longer I was in Hungary, I didn't speak through translator because I couldn't talk, but it was the clearest form of communication. And so I really found myself engaging in the message two times. Yeah, I'm sharing something and then I'm really listening to make sure that what I'm sharing is what just got conveyed. Yeah, And it, and it, it kind of created a... um. I felt like I was preaching it twice, even though it was only one time, mm-hmm. you know, in that one moment. And so uh, I, I liked the, the pause in order to be able to process my thoughts. I think the thing that happens when you preach through, through translator over time is you learn how to be succinct in what you're trying to say. Yeah. You don't waste words. If you do, you lost so much time. And so I, I really learned to appreciate those things. Yeah, I, I spoke with a translator too, and uh, and there was a time because in our context there was a lot less international crowd in our city. We were a small, more rural city where I was at, and um, I started preaching sometimes only in Hungarian, and then sometimes with a translator. There are definitely benefits to speaking with a translator. I think one of the things is that um, your words kind of hang right, so you get to have these these shorter mm-hmm. statements, but they almost seem to have sometimes more impact because they hang there for a little bit. I totally think that's true. You know, I mean, again, the goal and the vision, you know, and so much of what we did in Budapest, because it was the capital and it's such an international city, um, we did do things in both languages. Even now with a pastor who is Hungarian, we do translate into English because we don't want to leave anybody out. There's no reason for that. And it is exact. you're so right. There's something about the weightiness when it like, you hear something and then you have a, a, a few seconds to chew it. And then they move on. Rather here in one language, it's just kind of like next thing, next thing, next thing. Neither are right. It's not right or wrong, but yeah. I, I I like what you said on that. I agree. Well, I think that you can do that even without a translator. Like mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're at the senior pastors conference or at the Calvary uh, Global Network International Conference. And last night, Mark Sayers spoke and that he did that a few times where he would just take a big pause and let his words hang in the air. You know, Chuck Smith did that right? famously, right? Absolutely. I mean, and intentionally, mm-hmm. it wasn't like he forgot what he's going to say, but he let something hang there. You're right. Yeah. And you know, that gets to another issue, you know, cause I've, I've uh, listened to you preach, seen you preach several occasions and even recently on video. And one thing that always struck me that I, I probably never told you this, <laughs> but it was that uh, you have a good stage presence. And I, it seemed to me, 
that you're intentional about your stage presence. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things about my own life is I grew up in like the theater world. Oh, so I grew up in in doing shows and acting and you know, in a dramatic kind of a setting. And, you know, you, it's like you learn, they drill into you the idea that everything you do carries weight. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you make a mistake, make it a big one so that yeah. it just doesn't seem like it was a mistake, you know, simple things like that. And obviously preaching is not a uh, theater. And I, I know that I'm not, I'm, I'm not acting when I'm up there. I mean, every word, you know, if there's one thing I would say, it's like, I mean every word that I'm saying. Otherwise, I don't want to say it. So authenticity is everything to a, a preacher. But having that stage background, I think, has definitely helped in understanding how to communicate to a crowd. So I do want to be intentional. And one of the things that I changed in, in uh, Budapest, and I've continued to do that being here in America, is I, I, I've been aware of the fact that I'm wanting to reach people who may not find, like church isn't their thing. And so simple little things, and these are not about right or wrong, but for me, it's, it, it helped me convey my own heart better. Removing a pulpit, mm -hmm. holding a microphone or, or, or wearing a microphone so that I'm just completely engaged with people directly. They just felt like there's nothing in between us. Some people don't see a pulpit as a barrier, and I, I understand that. For me, I wanted to be free of those things. I want to be aware of Am I, am I engaging the entire crowd? Simple things like that, that I've, I've discovered my past is kind of helping me right now, you know, in, in, in my, in my, in how I convey the gospel. Yeah. So that was one of the things is that, uh, I had been visiting Hungary and somehow I was in Budapest. I came to church and I saw that you did this where you had a handheld mic and you just held it the whole time rather than using the stand or, or even a headset. And I thought there was a good uh, dynamism to it. So I started doing that too. And I noticed recently I, I saw you on a video and it seemed like you, I don't know if you had notes or what, but you definitely weren't looking at them. You were walking around a lot. Yeah. I, I um, gosh, years ago, I read a book that I really hated and I can't even tell you what the name of the book was, but I read it and I thought, this is nuts. Not about right or wrong, just not for me, but it was about like the idea of preparing out your sermons, you know, far in advance. And I was kind of like, I was just happy to get done in time. But yeah. over the time, and you know, in, in Hungary, I was preaching six, seven times a week. And you begin to discover like, I'm going to burn out if I'm not organized and prepared in advance. So I started to work out series, work out. And, and with that came the idea of, I want to, I want to engage with people in such a way that they don't feel like they're in college. Yeah. And, and one way to do that is, at least for me, I discovered that if I would write out my message, even more kind of sentence form, paragraph form, which again works for me, I almost memorized it. Yeah. It almost became something that like I now know what I was wanting to talk about. And, and of course, notes, you know, for me, notes are a platform. They're not, I'm not held to them, but it just has allowed me over the years now, I feel like I can preach and I have it there, but I'm not held to those things. So, so, so do you, you manuscript your sermons? I do. Yep. I write it all out. I do too. And, uh, I, I came across a post, a blog post in the, which this person was almost, um, it was called confessions of a manuscript preacher, almost like he was embarrassed to admit mm. that he manuscripted. But, uh, what I've found is that there are several benefits to it. You know, you definitely shouldn't read it. I mean, I think, but, 
what I found is one of the greatest benefits is that I can go back and I can know exactly what my message was on a particular passage. Or let's say I get asked at the last minute to speak somewhere. I have an archive of right. sermons and I can pull them up. And I found like for, for me too, I mean, those are, those are really good points. I, I also found that it enabled me to figure out, am I spending a long time at a, at a minor point mm. or am I engaging in what really matters? And when you, when you manuscript that out, you actually see what was your passion. Mm. You know, I begin to see like, gosh, I spent a lot of time on that thing. Am I really wanting to do that? Or, you know, so if a, if a, if a, if a, if a sermon is eight to 10 pages long, did four of my pages come from one idea that I, I really didn't even think was that important, but I just wrote a lot. Mm. And it kind of helps me to re reassess before I preached it. What matters to me? What do I want to be saying? Oh, that's really great. So that brings me to the other thing I really wanted to ask you about, which was that I know that there was a time, at least in Budapest, maybe at other times in your ministry, when you were preaching Sunday, Wednesday, and then also throughout the week. Like, I mean... How did you balance all of that? I know that manuscripting takes time. So how does how did you uh, manage to do all of that? Poorly, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I mean the easy the quick answer, and it's really true. I really believe it. It was the grace of God for seasons of life, and there were long seasons. I mean, mm. it was a solid ten years of maybe six, seven, eight times a week preaching, and not you know not always the same things. So um, I really feel like it was the grace of God. I genuinely believe that. I, it also, like for me, what I learned was how to, you know, again, brevity and how to be concise. I, you know, I hear guys talk about, and I, I don't disrespect it, um, you know, studying for X amount of hours or so on and so forth. I, I don't have that luxury. Yeah. I do more so now than I ever did. But I kind of hold to a, there was a George Whitfield quote when he was, you know, I don't think, I think 27 years old, preaching 10 times a week, traveling all the time, you know, that whole thing during the Great Awakening. And they said, when do you study? And he said, I've prayed over every word of the Bible. Mm. And he wasn't saying he doesn't study, but I think what he was saying is there was a season of his life that was dedicated to that. And that, and we should, you know, leaders are learners. We're always learning constantly. You know, I'm, I'm looking at going into my next degree now. I'm constantly wanting to learn. However, there is a point when I can say, I, I think I understand that text. Now, Lord, what are you trying to say to the people? I don't need to keep regurgitating an understanding of that text. What I need to know is, God, how do you want to convey that to my audience today? So uh, I think there was a season of grace to be able to, you know, and a lot of those teachings were ones that I would do every semester at a Bible college. Okay. So I wasn't reinventing that wheel for, for my life. But Wednesday and Sunday at church, it's a grind and you got to find your joy and your passion in it, you know? Yeah. Okay. So Phil, maybe tell us, um, one of the things we always ask people on here is tell us about your first sermon. How did it go? What did you preach on? Where was it? Wow. That's a great, great question. I was, I think I was 16 when I preached like my first sermon at a youth group. And, um, I think it was amazing. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it was awful. Oh, <laughs> I'm really? pretty sure it was. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I left feeling, um, you know what I left feeling like I want to do this again, mm. but I, but I, I, I knew it was bad. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I needed to be better. Like I was, you could feel that it was bad. Yeah. I didn't feel prepared enough. Okay. I felt like I had a lot of passion and not a lot of preparation. Yeah. And I didn't have, you know, years behind me where I could fake 
preparation, which is not a good thing. So it was so fresh and real. And I taught on the passage that um, uh, all things are new in Christ Mm. from 2 Corinthians. And I remember it was just such a passionate, uh, I I, I felt that passage so much. And um, I definitely find my leaning more towards um, encouragement and even towards evangelism. So I definitely was more evangelistic maybe than they had hoped, but I definitely left that that morning thinking, I want to continue to learn. Like I knew I wasn't good, but that I want to, I want to do this. I definitely felt a passion for that. Did you have anybody help you out when you were first learning or was it more like you saw other people preach and you just kind of intuitively picked it up no i i mean i was in a i had just gotten saved and was into a in a youth group where my my high school pastor was so engaged and so invested and i'd have to say that you know kind of very similar to a lot of people in my time uh, uh, my experience is that you know a lot of what we used to do was just kind of like go for it and then we'll help you in the process you know and i, I definitely kind of felt like he didn't give me guidance but I didn't feel alone, if that makes yeah. sense. Like he was with me telling me, gosh, you did a great job. Here's where you could get better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, really constructive criticism. Um, I, I really don't think that I learned that I had a gift to be a pastor or to be a teacher or to be a preacher until I moved to Hungary. Okay. I don't think I really felt called to that until I had been doing it for many years. But, I've, but I always found joy in doing it. Mm. I, I, it it's never been a labor. Yeah. I love to get to share on the Lord anytime I can. I genuinely appreciate the opportunities. It's humbling. Why? Why do you like preaching the Bible? Um, because, because it was God's word that transformed my life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm, I, I, I legitimately believe that when God pierces through a person's heart from his word, they will be transformed for life. Mm. And it's worth every, you know, we were doing three, sometimes four services on a Sunday morning. How can you get up and do that again? It's because there's people there that want to hear the word of the Lord. How do you not get up and do that? Like there's, there's no greater joy than the opportunity to do that. And I'm not a, um, I'm not a pulpit, you know, like I have to be up there. It's got to be about me. In fact, for me, and I don't know if this is true for all guys in the pulpit, but I feel like it has nothing to do with me. I genuinely don't believe it has anything to do with me. That's not a false humility or even a humility. I just believe that when I'm in that position, I'm, I'm, my hope is to just be speaking from God's heart to people. Mm. And it's coming through me. And so it's coming through my personality. I understand that. But I don't feel like I'm the attention, if that yeah. makes sense. I, I feel shielded from that in a, in a strange way. And yeah. Yeah, and what a privilege, right? I mean, that's what it exactly. is. Yeah, what a privilege to get to be used by God in that way. So closing thought, what would you say? You know, we have a lot of people listening who are, they're interested in preaching, maybe some people who are getting into it, maybe people who've been doing it for a while, but they want to grow. Any advice for mm-hmm. preachers, burgeoning preachers, or, uh, you know, what is the one thing you've learned that maybe you would want to pass on about preaching? Wow, that's a great question. Um you know, I mean, I, I love, I love what you guys are doing. I love the idea of people learning how to, how to put together a message, how to take apart scripture in a way that is proper, that is healthy, and that considers uh, the gospel in that, in that, in that uh, context. Uh, I would, you know, for me, I would also say like, if you're going to be, if you want to do this, focus on content and, but learn how to be a good communicator. 
You know, the, the package does matter. How, you know, we have a great message wrapped in a not good presentation gets lost. Yeah. And sure, we can say, you know, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. And I believe that. But how much better if we work on our, you know, on, on how we bring the message as well. And so, you know, spending time to make sure that what I'm saying is right, but also that how I'm saying it is right. I think those two together, boy, that's a powerful combination. That's dynamic. Phil, if people want to know more about you or connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Yeah. I mean, um, like personal social media. Or your church. Yeah. The church is at, um, we are calvarysd.com. So that's Calvary San Diego, just sd.com. And uh, we've got our, we, yeah, we're all over the web on that stuff. Well, people can hear your messages. They can yeah. They can go on there and listen to any of the messages. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Phil. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, my name is Derek Nider. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. You know, we are so privileged to be able to host Expositors Collective on February 21st and 22nd of 2020. You know, if you want to learn how to teach the Word of God, you don't want to miss this opportunity to sit under some great teaching and learn in an interactive environment. If you're 18 to 34, let me tell you something, you don't want to miss it. I wish that this existed when I was learning to teach the Word of God. Make sure you sign up today and join us for this life-changing opportunity. Mm -hmm.